We uh, there's not a rule that you have to do, use the three subs. You'll find us competitive. Um, he's he's the best left back in Canada, without a doubt. Alrighty, welcome back to episode 17 of the third sub. It's been a it's been a busy week in the both the real world and in the, the footballing world. Mostly in the in the real world for now. That's the reality of our situation we're living in. But despite everything that's going on, how are you uh, holding up this week, Sam? I'm uh, well. I'm Alex Gonget Ruzik. Sorry and. I'm here with my co-host Sam. How are how are you holding up despite uh, everything that's been going on around us this this past week? Yeah, not, not too badly. It's been a as you said, you know, there's there's been a lot going on, and you know, more more important things than than sport at the moment. But there's also been some you know some sort of activism and some you know standing up for what you what you feel is right in, in the sports world in an MLS so we're going to get into that a little bit because there's been some pretty important news over the last couple of days but um but obviously you know on a on a humanitarian and just sort of basic uh level there you know been some pretty big issues that have come to the forefront over the last week and uh you know I can't really profess to to understand exactly what that must be like and, and, and what that is to, you know, to live through those kinds of experiences that some people have, but it's, it's certainly something that gives you a lot of pause and, and makes you reflect on your life and, you know, how you treat other people and, and try to be as positive as you can and, you know, impart change in a good way. But yeah, so we got MLS news to talk about CPL news. The Bundesliga is rolling on. Uh, as is the K League, and we've got the Portuguese League coming back. So all of a sudden, there's this building of momentum in the soccer world, which is kind of nice. And and as we're about to touch on, MLS will be coming back. You know, the exact format uh, remains to be seen, but this Orlando tournament is going to go ahead. And uh, yeah, so in the sports world, exciting times in the world at large, maybe concerning times. But um, yeah, we're going to try to get into all of it here on the third sub. Yeah, well, I mean, for those sitting there uh, wondering if we will touch on uh, any of the, the, the stuff going on, we absolutely will. As a person of color, I would love to take a few minutes to chat about everything that's uh, going on. But we'll we'll, t- we'll touch on it later, especially in our Bundesliga wrap-up, because uh, as we saw there, there was a lot of good uh, protests done by the players to kind of show that they, they stand with what's going on and they're aware of everything that's going on this side of the Atlantic. But, you know, before we go towards that we'll start with with the news at least closer to home and you know with with that being that the MLS and the MLSPA and and also the CPL and the CPLPA they've all all CPLPA sorry the PFA can't or the PF yeah PFA can um they will in the case of the MLS and MLSPA they've finally hashed out a deal that that you know that that's going to put together a collective bargaining agreement until 2025 which it's kind of surprising to see the the 
uh, what what's the term? Negotiated but not ratified CBA renegotiated to uh, to reflect uh, the COVID nineteen circumstances. But after what can probably be de- best described as a tense few days of negotiation, a deal has been hashed out and looks like the MLS is going to be back. I mean, albeit in a what can well, well, I guess we can both agree is a bizarre format. It's it's an abbreviated format, but it's a format nonetheless. And you know, at, at least uh, at, at least the MLS is returning, and we're, we're sorting sort of seeing a blue, uh, you know, that that blue sky at the end of a long storm in terms of soccer returning in North America, at least in terms of MLS. And as we touch up, we'll touch upon in a bit the CPL as well. Yeah, it was um, it was a strange last couple of days because, and I don't want to give ourselves too much credit here, but we we talked about this a couple of months ago, um, or whenever you know these sort of initial discussions were going on. The fact that the deal had been negotiated but not ratified would that be a problem? And it ended up happening. And speaking with Jake Nerwinski yesterday, who is the players' rep for the Whitecaps, so every MLS team has a designated player rep. So he's kind of the liaison between the PA and the league. And from, you know, the way Jake recounted it yesterday, it was sort of a thing where everyone felt like the discussions were pretty much done on Sunday and that, and that it was going to be, you know, that everyone was going to be good to go. And then at the, at the last minute kind of final hour, the league office submitted another counter proposal and this included a clause in the force majeure that was specifically tied to attendance so um as we kind of mentioned you know previously the the force majeure is you know for events like covid so essentially gives both sides an out um if there are massive unforeseen circumstances but um, as as far as the PA was concerned, anything specifically related to attendance was never even discussed in relation to that force majeure up until that final counter proposal by the league. So all of a sudden, on uh, you know late on on Sunday, you've got this counter offer that includes something that was never discussed at any point, kind of thrown in, the, in at the end by the league. And I think that really set off a lot of players and was a real point of contention because um, it didn't match up with league standards elsewhere. So when the NBA was negotiating, when the NHL was negotiating, um, this was, you know, there was no attendance clause in those negotiations. And so I think the the MLS players felt, uh, you know, quite insulted by the way that was included in a way that the league was essentially trying to leverage the COVID-19 crisis to amend the, uh, the collective bargaining agreement. And so you've also got, um, you know, other concessions made by the players already. And I think that's part of what just grew the animosity is it's not like the players were, uh, weren't making any sacrifices. We're seeing salaries cut. We're seeing, I think most importantly, in a way, um, the years of the CBA are essentially being pushed back. So changes that would have gone into effect in 2020 are now taking place in 2021 and 2021, 2022. So that's, that's a major step back because as a league, you know, and as a players association, you kind of look to 
you know, progress and improve your position every year. And now the PA is essentially, you know, taking a hit that they're going to feel over the next, the next five years. And so Alex, you know, I don't know how closely you were following this, but I just interested to hear your thoughts on the league's tactics use, what you heard from, from players and people in the media and just your, your thoughts on the way the negotiations went down. Well, yeah, no, yeah. First to kind of start off the, the force majeure clause was definitely a big sticking point for the players. At least, you know, a lot of players were saying that that kind of stuck out to them because even without speaking about COVID-19 and the fact that, you know, attendances just fell off because obviously there's no fans in general, attendance is just a very volatile, you know, thing. You can't really project it. You can't predict it year over year. Sometimes it drops marginally. Sometimes it goes up marginally. So to have a force majeure clause allowing you to just renegotiate the CBA based on something so volatile is always going to be something that the players weren't going to be happy to have. And there's a reason most leagues around the world don't have it because, you know, even some of the top leagues in the world can't consistently grow up attendance over year over year because at a certain point it hits a cap. So that in particular was a pretty, you know, it was, it was a sticking point definitely for the players. And then aside from that, there was definitely a lot of squabbles over salaries, for example, at a certain, after being far apart, at, at, towards the end, the, the league wanted a, a salary cut of you know around 7.5% across the board to to save money, whereas the players only they were willing to only go for 5% at most, uh, preferably if not at all. But I guess you know they recognized the fact that a lot of MLS owners and teams aren't you know, aren't as able to handle not making a pay cut so they were they were able they were willing to take a pay cut but there was this definitely a sticking point over that pay cut and also one one other one that really stuck out to me when reading through some of the negotiations was that the bonuses were a sticking point that the M, that MLS wanted players to forfeit part of their salary or part of their bonuses and so that they could take it and use it as incentive for the tournament which is you know I understand they want to make the tournament incentivize so that teams take it seriously and that it just doesn't end up being a glorified you know like in, in, uh, exhibition tournament like the international champions cup or the intertoto cup or what something like that but you know taking the players money away to maybe give it back to the players probably isn't the best way to go around potentially offering incentives for this tournament so that was definitely another huge sticking point for the players because again, they didn't want to give up their money, especially not for that. At least in the terms of a pay cut, they understand it's helping keep the league, you know, in good shape financially. And then the last thing that I really saw stick out was the future TV deal. Obviously there is no TV deal, but the MLS is, you know, national TV deal in the U S is set to expire towards 2023. And they can start negotiating 2022 if I'm not mistaken. So that should that will allow them to, um, you know, as most other leagues around the world and in North America, specifically major leagues have been able to do is renegotiate the TV deal and TV deals are worth a lot. For example, just look at, you know, the NHL with Canada, they signed that multi-billion TV, yeah, multi-billion dollar TV deal in England. The Premier League signed that huge TV deal where even teams getting promoted are, are set to earn basically just a, 60 plus million dollars just for being in the Premier League due to how 
lucrative their TV deal up is obviously the uh, MLS isn't going to have as good of, of a TV deal, but based on how good of a deal they get, the player salaries will increase massively across the board. Everyone's salaries will increase. So how that negotiation goes down in a few years will be huge for the, for the future of the league. But, you know, with the situation, the MLS wanted to change some things in the TV deal, how, how some of it was going to be tied to revenue. They, I guess they wanted to, to remove that or, you know, basically make it so that that TV deal is a little less impactful for the players. So obviously they stood up to that and, you know, they managed to, to, to mostly keep the, the TV future TV deal as it was in the CBA, which from what players said, they were really happy that they even got that in the CBA. So they're happy that, you know, it's going to stick around. But I just think in general, obviously I think I'm going to probably side with the players during these negotiations because, you know, bunch of rich owners versus a bunch of players you know it's it's never going to be an easy fight and i think the players did well to to stand up because you know they it's tough to to have to unionize against the the big the big owners trying to save money and you know cut costs and do what they can so i'm not necessarily a big fan of some of the negotiation tactics which which included threatening lockout and whatnot but i think all in all i think just reaching a deal is always something we can't sniff our noses at because the, the negotiations are never going to be easy and especially when things start to leak out they're never going to look good so I can't say and pretend like oh MLS is bad because the, the negotiations went as they did but at the same time I can't say I was necessarily in agreement with how they went, it went down per se. Yeah and I think it's important to note that you know in in a lot of what I would categorize as regular CBA negotiations, the, the threat of a lockout is, is relatively normal. Like that's, you know, you hear in, in the NBA and the NHL, the MLS, there's, you know, that's kind of constantly the thing held over a collective bargaining negotiation. But the difference in this case is that the CBA had already been negotiated and essentially agreed upon in principle. And now, you know, the MLS is revisiting it because of a global health crisis and essentially you know i think as grant wall in in one of the tweets he put out yesterday perhaps kind of characterized it as well as anyone that you know a veteran mls player had kind of reached out to him and said that it was going to take years to undo the damage that was done over the past couple days because the league was essentially threatening to remove you know not only pay but families health insurance during a global health pandemic and so you know, I think it's important to, there's a difference between the threat of lockout and the threat of lockout under such, you know, specific circumstances. And I think that's what really set off the players that in combination with the fact that, you know, a deal was already agreed upon in good faith. And now it feels like the owners decided actually, no, now that we've lost some more money, we're not happy with that deal anymore. We're going to go back and try to hold your feet over the fire. And real credit to the players because they uh, they skipped out on training the day after this all went down, and I think you know put up enough of a stand in the United Front to to back the owners off uh, their super aggressive stance. And ultimately, you know, while I'm sure the players would have been happier without all this happening, it does seem like at the end of the day a deal was reached that's relatively positive for both sides, and so that's that's good to see. And that kind of moves us on to 
you know, something that wasn't clarified over the past couple of days, which is this tournament in Orlando, which is looking like it's going to start sometime in early July. But the real question is no one knows yet. No one's really sure exactly how this tournament is going to fit into the MLS over the course of 2020, because you've got two matches of a regular season that have been played. You've got what sounds like it's going to be three kind of pool play games in Orlando and then a knockout tournament. And that's probably only going to last around a month. So the question is, how do all these pieces fit together? Is there a regular season or is there an MLS cup later on down the line in 2020? Um, and when Jake Nowinski was asked about this yesterday, he didn't seem to have an answer. Axel Schuster didn't seem to have an answer. So it does kind of seem here like the MLS has just essentially decided we want games, but we're not really sure how exactly they're going to fit in yet. So Alex, I'm curious to hear not only your thoughts, but maybe your proposals or ideas for how they could make some sense of this. Well, kind of as we were talking pre-show, it just feels like MLS with this plan of kind of, they're, they're not, this is, they're walking down a path and it's not very, it's not a very clear path. It's not a very defined path. And I think it's kind of showed in there, this whole idea of the tournament. And we kind of mentioned it last episode. It's, this tournament shouldn't be looked upon as an extension of the regular season or this or that. It should be looked upon as a tournament, just that, you know, a tournament, a chance to gain exposure for the league, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, obviously they're not going to go out there and be like, we're going to take advantage of this pandemic and risk some of our players to, you know, grow the game, to grow the league, but let's not kid ourselves. That's exactly what's going to go on. And I think they could, maybe find a way to word it a little better so that they don't look insensitive. But that's, I think that's just the harsh reality of, of this business and what, what's going on. I think, you know, that's why teams have to play. They need to stay alive. They need to gain exposure, et cetera, et cetera. If not, teams wouldn't be playing at all. And I, it's kind of like the whole Germany situation, how they had to be the first league to come back because not, not because they want to take advantage of the fact that no one else everyone else would be want to watch them and, you know, get their viewing numbers up. But it was because the fact that half of their first and second division teams were facing insolvency. So they were just doing it to genuinely save, you know, the, the long-term future of the game in their country. So with MLS, it's, you know, very similar, but I just don't like maybe how it's been portrayed. And I think, you know, it's just, it's, it's not been maybe shared around as, you know, they haven't been very clear with their intentions. But, you know, for example, had they wanted to do a regular season, if you're going to spend six weeks in Orlando, instead of spending six weeks and playing, what, seven games if you're lucky, some teams might only play three, why not have it so you go there and you play every two or three days for over six to eight weeks? That's 16 to 20 games. Boom, all of a sudden you have 22 games for each team then you're in a little better position to start thinking about playoffs or, you know, okay, we had an abbreviated 2020 season. Now with this tournament, that means by the end of July, each team will have five regular season games. Like if you're really still, you know, dreaming of a potential finishing 2020, that's not exactly the most ideal number to be at by July. Imagine if you're at 22 games, for example, okay, you know, you're in a, you're in a little better situation. So 
that's kind of my thoughts on. I don't know, Sam. You were you were also floating around a few ideas as well. So, what do you got? Yeah, well, I I do have a couple ideas, but just something I wanted to I wanted to kind of touch on first was, you know, a- Axel Schuster said something yesterday that I thought was was pretty interesting and kind of gave me a bit of pause. And he stated how, and I don't know if this was an indictment or just kind of an offhand comment, but um, you know, he said every other league that's come back has come back with a plan for the rest of the year or for the next nine months or a, or a long-term plan. And that MLS is the only league that's decided to come back with a very short-term plan. And so you know, I, I think that that's ultimately how they're probably going to treat the rest of this 2020 year. It's going to be a month ahead rather than six months ahead. And yeah, do, do I think that's probably the right way to approach it? No, but I think that what's driving all this likely is something Don Garber talked about in his media availability yesterday, which is the effect of gate-driven revenue on the league and i think that the owners are holding out hope that be it september october 2020 they can have matches in their home stadiums with some kind of gate driven revenue now do i think that's the right thing to do probably not absolutely i would say absolutely not but i think that if you're an mls owner and you're don garber representing the interests of the mls owners you're essentially just kicking the can down the road and hoping for that. And so if I had to, if I had to surmise what the MLS league office is thinking right now, I think that they're going to play those couple of regular season games in Orlando. And then they're going to have this kind of one-off knockout tournament. And then they're hoping that they can resume the regular season after this tournament's done at some point and maybe you just don't play an MLS cup or you play a short MLS cup and you just have this tournament as essentially a, I don't know, it's a glorified exhibition to just drum up some interest and some, and some money for the league. I think, you know, if you're looking at it from the league's perspective, that's probably what's happening, but is it in my opinion, incredibly short sighted and just, you know, a bit foolish? Yes. But ultimately also as someone who covers the MLS and enjoys watching the MLS is it going to be good to have games absolutely like he it's hard to separate those two but at the same time I kind of feel like I'll take what I can get but yeah is there is there a concise plan for 2020 Uh, at this point I sincerely doubt it yeah well it's it's interesting you say about the, the later in the year regular season games I just feel like that for example is just blind optimism, really the best way to, to put it, because we're not Germany, as we've said many times, episode after episode, we cannot have it where in team or players are going to be traveling regularly between different states because the level of, you know, COVID, for example, between one state to another could be like the difference between Germany and Italy. And I mean, obviously the European Union is opening up travel between between their countries soon so maybe that isn't the greatest example but until we see some sort of flat a general flattening of the curve across North America maybe the owners do predict that and maybe in three months we'll look wrong for saying it but it's just hard to imagine with the huge differences to see certain provinces and states allow 
travel from certain places or want people to be traveling within these places to play sport games, you know, so I just, it doesn't, it doesn't seem very plausible, but who knows, maybe, maybe it will happen. And I can see why the owners want to hold up hope for gate revenue. But, you know, from a financial perspective, I'm going to look at it. If you're not able to make gate revenue. And one thing we've complained about even before all this happened is that MLS is too, too reliant on gate revenue. Well, why not use this time as a chance to diversify your, you know, your streams of income and work on getting a better TV deal, starting with, you know, these games you show and getting more TV money and, you know, just other streams of income than just gate driven revenue. So this league, at least when it returns, it'll have, you know, it won't just be a league that relies on fans sitting in seats to make money. It it does really feel like the league has chosen to bury its head in the sand rather than take an honest look at, you know, the strengths and weaknesses of the league and, and, and take this as an opportunity to try to improve the model. But uh, yeah, I mean, time will, time will only tell really how this tournament goes in Orlando, you know, what kind of quality of football, what kind of level of, you know, media and TV success these matches have. Like my, my question is a, you know, I, I can't necessarily identify with this, but if I'm a casual fan in Vancouver, so probably not someone listening to this podcast, but you know, if I'm someone who tunes into the odd white caps match if it's on tv and you know would maybe gain some interest if they're close to the playoffs or if someone gives them tickets am i gonna watch random knockout tournament games in orlando when i don't even really understand what the value the matches are probably not yeah i mean i think you know at times the mls regular season is a hard sell so if you don't explain or market or, or, or sort of give context to these matches in Orlando, you know, I think other than the hardcore fans or the people like us that are going to watch it regardless of the circumstances, it, it's maybe going to be revealing to see what the viewing numbers are like. Now, mind you, if they're able to, you know, if they're doing this before, some you know major sports like NHL and NBA come back at least for a little bit of that window because it sounds like the NHL is taking a very cautious approach and it's going to happen a little later on then maybe you get a bigger market share just because there isn't that much competition but I do really wonder what viewership is going to be like for these matches and what interest is going to be like if you don't really have proper context for the matches well it's interesting what you said about you know context for the matches because you immediately I think of the NHL when they made their return everyone knew about it. I was watching Bayern versus Dortmund you know German their classicer and for like every 20 minutes they spammed a huge graphic like NHL has big announcement in three hours and you know within hours of the NHL announcement there was all these graphs explaining a return and well because these because it's the playoffs and that's something very sacred in the NHL and something that that matters right and so i think well, that's that's what's important yeah well but it's a, they had to use an abridged format but at least within hours everyone understood that abridged format i think even amongst hardcore fans and experts of MLS can you really say that you understand 
understand this format. Like, well, the players and the clubs still don't understand <laughs> it, so it, it would be hard for anyone else to. Yeah, so I, I think that's kind of, for example, where they've gone wrong. I mean, it's signed. Why hasn't there been anything on MLS being like MLS is back? Let's explain it. Like, why is there, you know, why why has this negotiation been so? You know, with at least with the NHL, those rumors popped up, but then the commissioner made an announcement. It's, you know, it was it was very streamlined. I just feel like the MLS this announcement it hasn't really, you know, maybe gone down as we, we would have hoped. And for that reason, I'm kind of curious to see a how many people care about this tournament, b how many people understand this tournament, and see how much market share they're able to grab on based on how they promote this tournament. Because obviously, MLS hasn't announced it officially, so I can't attack or accuse them of not promoting it well yet but i am kind of not worried but not expecting much when it comes to that yeah and and maybe we'll be you know eating humble pie in a week when mls comes out with this great and extensive you know concise plan for what they're going to do in orlando so there there is still the possibility that you know there's a format that works and makes sense like i'm not I'm not saying that no matter what they roll out, I'm going to be strictly opposed, but it's just not confidence inspiring the way that you announce a return to play and you don't have the format ready. That doesn't inspire a lot of confidence. And so I'm ready to be proven wrong, but until I see it, until I understand it, I'm going to be, you know, cautious at best. Mm-hmm. I guess, to kind of pivot on before getting stuck in the MLS talk for too long, as of recording within the last 10 minutes, I mean, MLS just lifted its training moratorium. So that finally means that full team training can resume within the next few days, provided that proper protocol is met. So for example, that is a, you know, that's a, that's a big step uh, for this tournament. Obviously they haven't announced that this tournament officially announced it yet, but everyone kind of knows, but the fact that they're returning to full training, that the fact, you know, that players must complete physical examinations, tests and body line tests and all, you know, a lot, lots of cleaning. And if a player tests positive, the individual will be isolated, et cetera, et cetera. It's good just that the protocol has been impl- implemented, that full team training will resume because if this tournament's going to happen, that's going to need to happen as well. And I think, Signs are pointing towards it happening. It is going to happen. I'm, I guess we'll be following along closely to see how exactly it's promoted. Yeah, we're just going to have to it's – a, it's a wait and see now, but there's – you know, there will be matches barring something massively unforeseen in, in about a month's time or a little bit longer. So that's uh, – you know, from a personal perspective, that's exciting and looking forward to, you know – more news from the white caps, more things to talk about because it's uh, it's been a bit quiet for the last couple months in that regard. And so uh, that'll be fun. And, you know, whether it's, whether it's everything we hope it will be or not, there's still going to be stories, still going to be, you know, matches and performances and whatnot to talk about. And so that's, you know, that should be fun. And we're going to definitely get into that here on the third sub. Before we pivot to the CPL, uh, obviously, uh, there was a media conference call with Jake Nerwinski yesterday and, uh, and Axel Schuster talking about this new CBA. So uh, we'll, we'll, we'll have that. We'll, we'll put that here. So we'll play that in a couple of seconds so you guys can uh, 
listen to to kind of hear their opinions on all all we just discussed and those similar you know discussion points so before we pivot to the cpl will we will play you that so you know enjoy that and uh, we'll catch you uh, on the other side here okay well good afternoon and and thank you to everybody for joining us today um we want to start by first acknowledging what's taken place over the past week and a half in the in the wake of the senseless death of George Floyd and the uh, worldwide cry now for an end to racism and inequality. Uh, today in a video conference, Commissioner Garber commented on how the league must and will marshal the power of its platform to affect meaningful change and, uh, and mentioned to stay tuned as the league thinks deeply about how to do that. Uh, the commissioner was speaking about the recently completed collective bargain agreement between MLS and the MLSPA. Um, that video conference, if you don't have it already, we will make available for you. Uh, in the, the MLSPA statement, uh, what they said in the context of all that are seeking justice and equality is that we hope our return to the field will allow fans a momentary release and a semblance of normalcy. So we're very pleased that the league and the players have reached this agreement and we can all focus together on uh, return to play. Uh, the new CBA will run through 2025 and includes agreement on a plan to resume the 2020 season with the tournament in Orlando. Uh, the details of that, including specific dates and competition format for the Orlando tournament, uh, they're expected to reveal in the coming days. Um, but right now, today, to take your questions, we've got sporting director, Sporting Director Axel Schuster, Brian Meredith, Andy Rose, and to start us off, we'll have a comment from Jake Nerwinski. So, Jake, over to you. Yeah. Hey, thanks, guys, for uh, joining us. Um, I know you guys have probably been waiting a while to ask a few questions um, regarding this topic. But um, as you guys know, today's vote by the players finalizes a plan to resume play in 2020, and it provides certainty for the months to come. Um, you know, this vote also ratified a new collective bargaining agreement that will run through 2025. Um, just to say this, you know, this negotiation process was grueling. It was challenging, especially amidst, you know, a global pandemic and everything that is going on, you know, in the U.S. and Canada today with, you know, um, the murder of George Floyd. Um, you know, although I'm relieved and I'm excited that a deal has finally been made to get us back to play, the tactics that were used by the league were very unfortunate and upsetting. Um, I'm proud that even though at some point the players had their backs against the wall, we never gave in. We stood in solidarity and we remained a unified coalition to get a deal done. Um, I I'm really happy that this is finally done with. I'm happy that we can get back to play. You know, there are more important things in the world that are going on today. Now, um, I think that having football back in mainstream, back on TV, getting games in is important because it brings everyone together. It brings people together through all walks of life, you know, different race, different color, different religion. It doesn't matter if we all come together because we love the sport and we fight for each other. So that's my statement. Okay. So, Thanks, Jake. Har, go ahead. Hi, guys. Thanks for taking the time to speak with us today. I have a question for Jake Nerwinski. Uh, I understand the New Deal has a force majeure clause, but it's not related to attendance. It's more related to the 
NBA style, the NBA version. So I was wondering if you could please explain that to us and what exactly that is. Yeah, so, you know, a force majeure clause kind of states you know, that in, in a, an event where the league doesn't have control of, you know, games happening, um, stadiums being filled, which is, you know, like a pandemic of that sort, you know, um, it, it gives them uh, an out to essentially gives, – gives them an out to essentially, you know, stop paying us to lock out the league. And um, kind of what happened was we – throughout this process, you know, it's two and a half months long, we've agreed on a force majeure that, you know, essentially ranks up with other leagues across the world, you know, other, other leagues across the nation. Um, and what essentially happened on Sunday was that, you know, af after we sent a counterproposal, their last counterproposal came back with a stipulation in the force majeure that, you know, had to do with attendance. And we believed as a player's union, as, you know, player pool, believe that this shouldn't be in a force majeure. This is nothing that we ever agreed on. And that's kind of the situation that we were left in to you know, we've we said that this is not going to work for us. This is not fair. And we ended up, you know, being unified. And we got to an agreement that maybe both sides don't agree on, but I think that's what happens in an agreement. You know, compromise is essential. Thanks, Jake. Jay? Uh, good afternoon, everybody. I have two questions. Um, Jake, um, First one is for you. Uh, going through this labor process, obviously it opened your opened up your eyes to the world of professional sports. It's great to have a deal signed, um, but you mentioned the tactics, and we've been reading a lot about it the last uh, few weeks. What disappointed you the most with the the stance that, that Don Garber and the MLS was taking, and what do you think was the the changing point to get this deal done? Yeah, you know, um, I think a lot of players and a lot of you know reps throughout this process have tried to understand both sides and try to you know know that there must be a compromise you know willing to make um you know we gave up a lot of concessions we gave up a salary you know cut we gave up a year of our cba um and you know going into sunday i personally thought that this deal would have been done we would have you know had it signed and we were all content with what we were signing for you know when the when the league came back with another counter proposal you know in the, the last hour of you know um negotiating with a new stipulation and a threat of a lockout it it upset a lot of guys and i think that was the turning point in this whole process that you know a lot of neutral guys began to sway towards you know we need to fight for what we think is right and what we think we deserve so what we did was we stood together, you know, as you guys know, we didn't go to training and, and that's, you know, a tough thing to do, but it was the tough things that kind of made this possible for the league to ultimately, you know, fold and give us what we originally agreed on. Jake, well, when we're talking about concessions, how great were your concessions and, and what kind of pay cut are you guys taking to, to resume play? Yeah. Um, I'm th I think that's, is that all um, prior now? Is this public knowledge now? I just want to make sure that that's <laughs> out. Yeah, it is cool. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Sorry, guys, just making sure. Uh, yeah, so 7.5% going forward. Um, that's what our pay cut will be. 
and that will be backdated to our last paycheck of May 31st. And as well Thanks, as you know that, yeah, and as well, we gave up a year in the CBA and essentially start in 2021. Thanks, Jake. Um, Axel, uh, a yep. question for you, and, and it's about the excitement about seeing MLS. We keep reading about and hearing about the possibility of this tournament taking place in Florida. Would there be any exhibition games prior to this happening? Uh, and if not, is there any concern for you about jumping straight into uh, this tournament play without exhibition play? First of all, uh, we are all happy that we finally found this agreement and I have to thank all the parties that they made it happen at the end and uh, because it's very important for us now to go back to business to start with training again tomorrow and to prepare ourselves for a tournament and also that is something exciting we 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 have now a target we know when we go back to game and it will be <laughs> it will be counted as league games and so we we have a real competition competition ahead of us if we can play exhibition games before that, we don't know now because uh, we are still evaluating what can we do in our home markets until the date we have to go to Orlando. What can we do in Orlando in before uh, makes that all sense. But if you've asked me if I'm concerned, the only thing that I was concerned about that we do not come out of gates. If you have to play a game without an exhibition game, it doesn't matter because it's for everybody the same situation. So we will be prepared. We were always ready to go. Uh, our team was always ready to go. There was no question about that. And I have to say thank you to my players because they, everybody showed up in the last two weeks for every single session. So so we have a good spirit. And that's much more than important than, than if you have an exhibition game, yes or no. Have the details officially been hammered out, Axel, about the tournament in, in Florida that you can share with us? Not the way last details, because that was, of you can imagine, that was also a process of adjusting, readjusting because the ongoing negotiations. So there were already a plan in place and then it was uh, uh, delayed and, and we did change. And in the same time, things changed around us. So, so this, this, this pandemic, this virus changed all, all of our life every week. So things were reopening. Nobody at the beginning of the discussions about the tournament, nobody could Im imagine, nobody would believe that New York is maybe able to train in their home market. Uh, now, now, now they are back in an individual workout in their home market. So things are, are developing that quick. So we try to to find the best solution, and for that we kept the door open for the last uh, adjustments and and the timeline and the first game and and all of that. I think we will fix it now soon because everybody is waiting that that, and it's important to have that for, for our preparation. But in general, yeah, we will be there in July and we will play games. Lastly, are you hopeful we may see games at BC Place at some point this year? Yeah, if things develop good and, and develop in the right way, I'm, 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 I'm personally absolutely sure that there is no reason not to play games at, in our home market. But nobody knows by today how things develop. So if I say there's a guarantee, I cannot give the guarantee. Nobody can give the guarantee. But if you ask me... Are we planning that? Or is the league planning something like that? Sure. Uh, the same way they plan the Orlando tournament. And this Orlando tournament is not forever. So at one point we come back and, and we want to go on. So, so we are doing everything we can do with all the health authorities in every single province and in the US states to, to get the best thing done we can do. And now with that agreement, 
I think everybody is even more motivated and pushing forward to, to get the things done. Thanks, guys. Uh, I have a, a question for Andy. I was just on a, a call with Evan Bush there in Montreal, and he mentioned that players can be excused from the tournament for having a pregnant wife, if there's a death in the family, and if they get maybe a doctor's note saying that there's an underlying health condition. They obviously, your wife is pregnant and you have diabetes. What about your situation in this? It's like, we also don't know about quarantine, what's going to happen if you have to return? Do you have to do 14 days quarantine? So, so how is this affecting you personally? Hey, Michael. Yeah, I suppose I, I checked two of the three boxes there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, look, it's like Jake and Axel both said, this thing is... Uh, seems to change has been changing every day and so my mindset throughout the whole thing has been uh you know i've, I've been incredibly support supported by my wife who's been uh who's been fantastic obviously a very stressful situation uh w with her being june in in july and and my mindset has been until a deal is in place let's let's just take it day by day um obviously now so thrilled that a deal is in place and and obviously you know for all of us, we've the number one thing is we've all wanted to to get back on the pitch and, and at some point play in front of fans. So my personal situation is a tricky one. I know there's other other guys around the league in the same spot. Um, you know, the club has been brilliant in in talks throughout the last couple of weeks about what could happen, what potentially is going to happen. I certainly, uh, you know, I. I'll say I haven't made a, a complete decision on that yet. I need to get all the details, and obviously I need to have face-to-face uh, -face conversations with with Mark and with Axel. Um, that'll happen, you know, this week hopefully. Um, yeah, like you said, it's it's a tough one. I think my mindset first and foremost is with the team and with my wife. You know, in terms of diabetes and issues, I'm I'm very comfortable going. Um, it's really just the the decision will come down to to timing. Um, missing the tournament would be a very difficult thing for me to take and, and missing the birth of a child of course for anybody would be a really difficult thing to take so um, I need to have some conversations now that things are, are set in stone and, and we have a plan moving forward there's going to be difficult conversations um, and uh, that's kind of where my head is at so far of course I want to be training as if I'm going um, and we'll, we'll just have to, again, kind of take it day by day. And and I have to thank the club so far. I've been, been tremendous. Obviously, with the two-week quarantine you mentioned, that's kind of the really underlying difficult thing because if it's a situation where I can go and, and, and if I need to get on a flight back, um, you know, that would maybe be in a really difficult situation, the ideal circumstance. Whether or not that's realistic, I'm not sure. You know, by that point, will the border be open? We, we have no idea. So... A lot of moving pieces, but uh, I appreciate your question and, um, you know, don't have a, a straight yes or no answer just yet. Just, just kind of to follow that up then with Jake, obviously there is a lot of confusion as to, or not confusion, but no one really knows what's going to happen at the end of this tournament with you guys coming back into Canada. Right now, it looks like you would have to quarantine for 14 days. That's going to be tough. Uh, are you just going to have to take that in the flow and just see what happens, see if there's any relaxation by the time the tournament finishes? Yeah, you know, I I listen to the news like you do probably every single day. Um, it's always changing. 
right now that's what the the rule is it's in place um you know i have a fiance here that is you know going to be here alone for that long and it would be unfortunate to be in the same city and have to quarantine away from her for another two weeks but if that's the case you know that's what it is you know we are we're finally back to playing um i've wanted you know to get back to playing for a long time and i think this is just part now of the job that we both you know my my fiance and I both accept and yeah that's really it it's upsetting but it's something that has to be done it's really nice to see all these faces again it's very soul nourishing today's a very very good day I have a a quick question for Axel and then just on the follow-up to Jake there about the borders also being closed until at the very earliest the 21st of June uh, and just how that would be navigated and for Axel I wanted to know about um, the complications with the summer transfer window. I know that's not the priority right now. Just getting back to play is the priority, but it's weird how leagues have started delayed. They're all in different places. How is the international transfer window going to be affected this year? Have you heard anything about that? And thanks again for uh, setting this up. Whitecaps and seeing all you beautiful faces again. Yeah. Uh, all the leagues, uh, FIFA is very open to readjust transfer windows or to to be creative with transfer windows. So uh, there has there is already there are some leagues that are already went to three transfer windows in this year, and FIFA approved that. So our league also is is looking at that, um, and and again, no no way the master plan for something like that so the first thing we we had to do and that was the most important was to find agreement with the player union and and to to have a timeline to go back to the competition because otherwise we really don't need the transfer window now as we have that we have also to to evaluate when makes it sense to open a transfer window because right now nobody can come here so you can sign players from from south america but they are not allowed to enter the country so, so, so there are so many factors playing into that that uh, that the league is all aware of that and and looking at that they they already provided us with dates and thoughts but there one stand forever and in every of our discussions we first need an agreement and we first need a first day of games or coming back to competition otherwise all of the thoughts make no sense. So, so we will we will work through that now on the CSO level with the league. We will find a solution. But for us, only to let you know, we we don't need a transfer window. We are very good with our team. We made all our transfers in the right time. We have a lot of new players still. Still, we feel we still, if we go to the Orlando tournament, have new players because uh, Eric Godoy hasn't played in this year. Uh, Ranko Vizelinovic hasn't played. Uvuzu played only ten minutes. Uh, Bigel only played one game, so uh, Kimiri is is like a new signing uh, after his injury. So so we and we we think we have a very good group, and this group showed that, that to us in the last weeks. So we don't have any need for a transfer window right now. So we are very relaxed looking at that. There was a second question. All right. I just wanted to know if the the, the borders were uh, supposed to be closed to the 21st of June at the earliest and uh, just whether there are issues, and, and I understand that the initial plan was the 24th of July to go to Orlando, um, but 
have you heard anything about exemptions made for professional soccer clubs to cross the border if that ban continues? So the only thing I can say, it has, there is an exemption for those players who go to the tournament. So for the entry of us in, from Canada coming to US, because there is no quarantine or something like that for the, the teams traveling through the US. So it's only an issue of the three Canadian teams now. And everything else we are working on with the with the with Ottawa and and with MLS office and with uh, with Washington to find solutions for that. Um, we we are not pushing for things that are not uh, that makes no sense. So we are working on plans. The only thing I can maybe share that all rules are in place for normal travelers without testing. So the only the only pathway right now to get something done is through the through a testing process, and we will be all part of a testing process. And I guess now that we you know you listen to to what Jake and uh, Axel had to say, I mean, it sounds kind of what from what we 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 saw they they're kind of in a similar boat to us in terms of the format and kind of how you know it is a bit confusing and people aren't really sure what it is but you know they're just happy that games are going to return that we're gonna see live football again and albeit in a unique format but it is kind of what it is and at least the negotiations were able to be successfully undertaken i mean one thing norwinsky really highlighted is that how proud he was of his mlspa him and his mlspa members for standing up to mls once again and not backing down and showing that they were strong and, you know, with the whole skipping training and everything, they were very, very proud of themselves. But if we're going to talk about more unionization, we can kind of pivot to the CPL and with what's, what's going on there. I mean, obviously they've still floating around the hub city. That's Langford now in Victoria. Once again, seems to be leading the way, but one big step that teams took in CPL was that thanks to a push from the PFA can, the players were starting at least in four or five of the markets are able to return to training and do small group and voluntary individual training. So that was a big step in kind of Sam, you've been also following along closely as we both have kind of how, how big of a step do you think that is for the CPL? Well, I think we, we saw how important it was for MLS because until you have players, you know, back on the field, you know, back training, back doing the full extent of at least what they can do physically as individuals, it's really hard to envision what playing matches is going to look like. And we saw that, you know, once MLS started doing individual training, the momentum kind of grows. And I think with, you know, the CPL, because there are less moving parts, there are less teams, you're also fully based in Canada where the COVID situation, albeit not perfect, is certainly better than in the United States. I think and I hope that the ball can get rolling a, a bit quicker in that regard and that, you know, hopefully um, the CPL and, you know, the the PFA can are, you know, both kind of thinking and working on how to best, you know, return towards play. But uh, obviously it's a, you know, you got to start somewhere and it's a massive first step. Yeah. No, I think, again, kind of what we said with, you know, MLS when all this happened – you can't 
you know, at least what the, I think Axel Schuster put it best when in his interview or from about three or four weeks ago when individual training starts. Step one is huge and, you know, it's not very exciting, but step one's great because without step one, you can't reach step two because especially in a time like this, skipping steps is dangerous. And for CPL to finally take that step one, it's huge because next, you know, as we've seen with MLS, step two will come and then step three and next, you know, the tournament or whatever format they're going to decide to do will be upon us. And I think it, it'll be good. And I think at least with CPL, there's only, as we've mentioned before, there's eight teams. So this hub city can work really well. And for example, if they want to play regular season games with only eight teams in a spot, they could zoom out so many more games and find a way to find a format that works. So I'm excited to see what format they pick because there's just so much more to work with compared to MLS. They could even do each team plays each other twice in a short span of time. And that's the league or something, but it's going to be exciting to see what they can do with this format. And starting with this training, I think that and that, that'll be the first step towards a format like that. And I think it's only going to be a matter of time until the training ramps up and then until they're ready to undertake a venture like that. Yeah. And it sounds like, um, the the two coasts and really primarily the West coast are being fixated upon as potential, you know, hub city destinations. So that would be Halifax and, and Lankford. So, you know, Pacific hosting it there on the Island. And, and even though, you know, ultimately kind of where, where the hub city is, they're going to be isolated regardless. But I think the idea just of having that in BC and on the West coast is kind of, kind of exciting from a personal perspective. And, uh, you know, as you said, I think that, you know, there's a lot of flexibility there and, and it's just my hope that, you know, with all the proper safety precautions kept in mind that CPL can get the ball rolling here because maybe they can, you know, especially if the MLS doesn't do a great job with their tournament format, maybe the CPL can do better, get more creative and, and really create a product that, people in Canada and abroad as well are excited to watch because, you know, we've seen over the last month or so, or, you know, even beyond that, like people were watching the Belarusian premier league and, you know, people are, have really rallied behind the K league and really rallied behind the Bundesliga. So if the CPL can create an exciting product as play starts to ramp up, um, that would be really great exposure for the players in the league and, and the country. And so, you know, hopefully they can come up with something, something creative for that. And I don't know whether or not they'd be looking at, you know, a long-term kind of season plan or looking at, you know, some kind of knockout tournament style. I don't know. It remains to be seen, but uh, it, it should be interesting. And yeah, hopefully this individual training can progress towards, group training and take the same kind of path that we've seen other leagues slowly start to embark on. Yeah, no, I think it's the CPL has a good chance here to capitalize on, you know, getting a return to play and getting their players and marketing themselves to the, to the world. Cause it's, it is an exciting league for how new it is. And I think it'll be good to, to see them, you know, return to the field. But do you think, Sam, with everything that's been going on in MLS, that this certainly helped the CPL kind of out, you know, outline their plan and start going for a return. You think? Well, uh, yes, to a, to a certain extent. I mean, seeing 
seeing someone else go first is always helpful. But I also think that a lot of the circumstances are different. So I don't necessarily want to, you know, say it's a, a cut and paste style approach. And, uh, you know, certainly something that we've seen as well is that the, the relationship between the players in the league is, you know, the same, but different, but the same. So, you know, not only is the MLS PA faced issues, but, you know, this, this PFA Canada, which is, you know, just really in its infancy, um, you know, they've kind of had a bit of a, a bit of a labor battle over the last week or so, because we've seen, you know, paid delays turn into pay cuts very quietly without a lot of publicity about it. And, um, you know, the PFA on, on Twitter has been, was talking over the past week about how, you know, they'd yet to have any discussions with the league and there really wasn't an open dialogue there. And we've only seen over the past couple days, um, you know, some recognition sort of given to the union and, and ultimately this is something you were talking about before the show and you've talked about a lot is that, you know, down the line, that union really needs to be recognized by the league in order to have, you know, the kind of constructive discussions you would hope for. And so I don't know how that's going to fit into the return to play plan. Um, You know, I don't know whether it's either realistic that, you know, the PFA is recognized before return to play or how that all fits in, but it's like an extra, you know, an extra wrench in things that's going to have to be addressed at some point. So, you know, as always, I think we're a, we're a player's podcast. And so we want to see the, the needs and concerns of the players met. And ultimately the more dialogue that's had between the CPL and its players, hopefully the, you know, more productive and, and quicker discussions can kind of move forward. But yeah, I think that the MLS to a certain extent shows, the CPL both what they should and shouldn't do as they go through this process. Well, yeah, no, with, when it comes to the union, it's, I do think the CPL is treading into dead, you know, scary, dangerous waters, because as we saw in MLS fans and media and everyone will back up the players in the case of unionization, because, you know, it just, it makes sense. You know, they're the ones that run the league, essentially, even though they don't run the league without them, they're, they're nothing. And, it doesn't make sense to always have leagues fighting against the players and trying to take away their rights from the players that the players very much are very much entitled to hold. So I think, for example, the fact that the PFA can is recognized by Canada's official union and the fact that they're recognized by FIFPRO, the, the global FIFA union, yet they're not recognized by the CPL, that just kind of doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't seem very smart. And I think the CPL is treading in dangerous waters because, again, Without the players, there's nothing, and there's nothing wrong with having both sides meet at the negotiation table and be able to talk about things. I don't know why the league would be so scared of having a union. There's nothing, you know, especially in Canada where labor, you know, the idea of labor is so strong, and there's a lot of labor force and lots of good labor movements in Canada. Just having the league be against the the you know a movement to protect the labor of the players just seems useless on many counts obviously from a just a pure sporting standpoint listening to the players would be beneficial but just from a fan interest standpoint most of the fans are you know they're they're labor they're mostly you know they're going to be pro pro labor they're going to be pro union so the, the, to ostracize the players union it just 
doesn't seem very smart on, on many counts if I'm, if I'm going to be honest. Yeah. I think it's, you know, if you're a, if you're an owner of the team, it's, you know, going to be a tough sell pretty much always to get public approval on your side. And especially when you're, you know, talking about, you know, nickeling and diming the players to a certain extent, it's usually, usually difficult to get support behind you, but, uh, you know, with the with with the CPL and everything that's going on, uh, hopefully down the line in the weeks to come, we'll have you know more concrete things to talk about. And with the, as we said, with the return of training, you know that's the the first step, and you can't really move forward until you start doing that. So the fact that markets like Pacific are, you know, do have that underway, we can at least you know see some light at the end of the tunnel or see the blue skies, as you said earlier, Alex. Yeah, no, and that's that's certainly certainly fair. But I guess we're gonna pivot towards the the, the back end of this this episode as uh, as we've done the last few weeks. We'll, we'll look at the Bundesliga and the K League, but those, because those have been our leagues to follow. At least I've been the Bundesliga guy. You've been the you've become the K League the K League guy, and I think we've had a lot of fun with that. I think it's going to be interesting to see what happens now this weekend. The Portuguese league already has resumed and the Spanish league isn't far behind the English league. It's going to be hard to keep all our eyes out. I only have two eyes. I can maybe watch two, sometimes three games at once. So I really going to, you know, we're going to get that brain a workout, but at least in the Bundesliga, it's another interesting match day. I mean, after a match day where it felt like all the, Big teams slipped up and Bayern took advantage. All the big teams did well this weekend. And things remain tight as as tight as ever at the top. Uh, you know, Bayern's leading their their way ahead, but after them, it's you know it's it's a, it's a huge race for for the four top four spots, the Champions League. And as we know in Europe, if you make the Champions League, you get lots of money, you get lots of exposure. It's huge and. I don't know, Sam. You you, you did keep a, a close, a, not a close eye, but you did keep an eye on the league. What, what were your kind of general thoughts on the league before I dive into mine? Well, I think it's just my. We've talked about this already, but my excitement for that second through fifth battle, and you've got a lot of good teams with you know young players, especially young attackers who are garnering a lot of interest from some of the biggest clubs in Europe, and you're gonna see those guys battling it out for those Champions League spots. And, you know, you've got Dortmund in second, Leipzig in third, but, you know, no one is safe at this point. Everyone could be in that fifth spot. Everyone could be in that second spot. And so even though, you know, the Bayern title is pretty much inevitable at this point, that's a very exciting battle to watch. And, you know, one that's not only going to have Champions League implications and, and you know, implications in the Bundesliga, but also the way some of those young players perform down the stretch may affect their futures. And so there's all these different kind of layers and things to watch. And so that's going to be exciting. And that's, I think, the number one thing I'm looking forward to at this point. Yeah, well, it's interesting, for example, just how transfers are affected by this. I think you think of... Bayer Leverkusen, they have Kai Havertz, one of the hottest prospects in, in the game. Everyone seems to want to want to buy him. If they finish fourth in the Champions League next year and they're able, you know, with COVID-19 player values are dropping, does Leverkusen consider keeping him in that case? 
who knows? But, you know, it is interesting to see movement because today, example, the day of recording, is, it was officially announced that Timo Werner, the star striker for Leipzig, and a huge part of their success in Champions League and why part of the reason why they're third in the in the league as well, he's going to Chelsea officially, is, is announced by all the, the sources around that club. And, for example, that's... That's a huge move when you start to think, oh, what other players are going to start moving now? Now that that first dominoes, you know, kind of, as we say, started started to fall. So, you know, if player movement wise, there is a lot to go on. But from the league itself, it, I just think it's it's an entertaining league. I think it's good that despite being laid on, there's a lot of good races. I mean, at the mid table clubs have kind of really disappointed. For example, Schalke has been one we've really outlined about you know how disappointing they've been but at the top I think we're going to be blessed with lots of good games this weekend for example we've got Bayern Munich versus Bayer Leverkusen I think massive game for both teams it's going to be definitely one not to miss and I just think the quality of the Bundesliga is improving week after week and I think it's it's only it's only going to get better for these last five games and you know it's not just the Bundesliga that's going to be there too just think about and I think, yes, not not that long, for example, the, the DFB Pokal will resume. And as we know here, there's a couple local connections. Obviously, Fonzie, Alfonso Davies and Bayern Munich are, gonna, are in the semifinals of that. But also, Kian's froze in his fourth division, Saarbrücken, or something like that. I may have completely obliterated that, but it's off the top of my head. I don't have it written down here. They're going to be playing in their respective semifinals for the DFB Pokal, so... A lot, lot, lots of interesting games coming up in Germany. I think if you're a fan of the game, especially if you notice teams in the relegation battle or at the top of the table engaged in them, I definitely think it's worth tuning in and keeping an eye because there's a lot of underrated players that you might not know about or ones that you will know about soon if you're not paying attention, especially at some clubs like, well, top clubs as well. Like, look at some of these guys at Mönchengladbach and Bayer Leverkusen. You'll be hearing about them a lot in the next couple of years. Yeah, that's a that's a blast from the past. Keon's froze very much the the forgotten man of Whitecaps lore in a lot of ways. But uh, not to not to shift things back too much to the Whitecaps chat. But you know, speaking of a of a former Schalke man and Axel Schuster, it was interesting to hear him yesterday um, when he was asked about the effect that, you know, COVID and this tournament would have on the summer transfer window. And Schuster essentially went, nah, we're good. He essentially came out and said, we're happy with the team, with the lowering in transfer values, with, you know, just the, the massive mess that has been created because of everything that's gone on. It doesn't sound like the white caps are planning on doing a lot of moving and shaking in the coming months. And so, you know, maybe a player will come available or maybe someone will submit an offer that's too good to refuse, but it does seem like the transfer strategy for the Whitecaps at this point is very much a, you know, wait and see, ride it out type approach. So that's just going to be something to monitor over the next couple months, I think. And I think that's fair with prices across the board. Again, as we did mention before, it'll lead for bargains for some teams, especially MLS teams, but for other teams, it might not be worth, especially if you have a young prospect that you know won't, you won't get as much money for. Do you keep him? Do you stop him from going to a bigger club? It's, it's going to be hard to see how 
how it affects, you know, how it affects the, the, the game. But I guess if we're going to talk about young prospects, I think it's a good way to pivot in the, some other talk, for example, thinking of Jaden Sancho, for example, uh, the hot prospect on Dortmund who's been making waves. He has 17 goals now or something like 18 goals and 17 assists. Incredible season with for him. And he made a huge statement on, on Sunday with his performance, scored a hat trick. But after his first goal, he took off his shirt, took a, took a yellow card to put a message, justice for George Floyd all on his shirt, a huge hugely appreciated message for many all around the world and they really applauded him and he wasn't the only one uh well Sancho is English but you know he's he is a person of color same with uh, another one was Weston McKinney which was he's from the U.S. so especially it would hit home to him he had a had an armband on uh supportive with the the justice for George Floyd the the man that was uh brutally murdered to be honest there's no other way to put it by the the police officer in uh, Minneapolis and there's some other statements well done by players uh, Marcus Turam of Mönchengladbach scored a goal and he kneeled for a good you know 10-15 seconds to to send a message and Atraf Hakimi who's part Moroccan well he's Moroccan he you know he, he's similar to Sancho on he took off his shirt with the with a similar message so I think we're going to speak of all that that went on in the Bundesliga and how that ties into the the Black Lives Matter movement. I think that was hugely important that those players, you know, made public statements because obviously one thing that we've learned over time and you look back to Colin Kaepernick, for example, as a recent example, sports and politics can be a powerful mixing pot. And I think with everything that's going on, obviously with this whole COVID-19 situation, there isn't much sport going on. And I think of what's going on in America and all the, you know, there's a lot of, I think of the example, the NBA or the NFL, where there's a lot of black athletes. And obviously NFL wouldn't have been on now, but it would have been the NBA finals. And you just, you know, that especially that there, a lot of the players are outspoken on the issue. And when they speak, people listen. So obviously they can do what they can speak from social media and, put their message out there but there's just something powerful about in a live game in a spur of a moment a player makes a statement where everyone's watching you know you 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 know you don't know it's coming and it just helps put so much positive attention on you know on this cause on this you know fight for for black lives especially every it feels like every few years something wrong you know just wrong goes on police brutality or just and overall just racist sentiments that seem to seep in every they're there, but you don't notice them every couple of years. So I think obviously now with everything that's going on, it's been good to finally, well, not finally, it's been going on for years, but again, to see a big push from the black community, but also not just the black community because they've been pushing for years, but especially white allies as well and other players and athletes and other prominent white people standing out for support. I just, it's been it's been a you know it's been good to see a lot of the the positive push and I just think, for example, what the players did within the Bundesliga to make a statement and the fact that the Bundesliga and FIFA both came out and said that they instead of denouncing it they actually stood in solidarity with the players. For example, that is a huge message as well because it'll encourage players to use their platform you know more and more to because even though they might not be politicians they can be good activists and really 
help draw positive attention to what's going on. And for that, I'd like to, you know, I'd like to, to tip my cap for that. And hopefully we, we continue to see more push for activism, push for justice and push the Black Lives Matter movement forward because it is hugely important, especially in North America, how diverse it is. And it ha- all this stuff, it applies to Canada too, as much as we, we'd hate to, to say it. So I just think it's, it's huge to, to have that, that support. Yeah, I mean, just to just to touch on that briefly, I think what was particularly powerful about what those guys did in the Bundesliga is it helps remind everyone that it's a it's not just a uniquely American or uniquely North American problem. It's you know something that needs recognition go- globally and needs global attention. And so I think you know playing on playing on such a big stage and making a statement like that, that, as you said, was, you know, supported by major, you know, major footballing groups is, is very powerful. And, you know, I think something that I've been reminded of through all this is that, you know, things like the COVID-19 crisis can really, can really test people. And we've seen that, you know, even in, I think of in Vancouver, there's been a lot of anti-Asian sentiment over the past couple months. And, you know, it's not, a, you know, like racism and discrimination are not, you know, unique or situational topics. You know, they're pervasive through all aspects of life and, you know, and can, you know, happen to such a wide variety of people. And and we're seeing this real, you know, touching point in the U S and it's created all this, you know, recognition. And I think people kind of facing things that a lot of time you just go through your day to day life and you, you put on the back burner, you don't really think about. And so seeing the amount of people, you know, that have come out and, and said something or just, you know, made their feelings known is, is really powerful and you know it's it's been a difficult time in a lot of ways but i think it's you know it's an opportunity as well for us to for us to all improve and hopefully you know make the world a better more more equally represented place mm-hmm. and it's important to push those issues to the forefront because even when it isn't is something is you know something you see right in front of your eyes like george floyd or even if you say Ahmaud arbery the the young man who was running and he got shot by a couple of, you know, Confederate supporters in Atlanta. And that was also a very shocking story. You see those stories and you really feel it. But even when that isn't happening, there's little ways that the race, that racism can present itself. Like, you know, just little things such as when you go to a certain neighborhood, you have to think, Oh, since I'm not white or I'm, you know, I'm not, this isn't kind of my neighborhood. I have to watch myself or going to a country or, you know, even even you think say with what's going on with a lot of you know Asian people and with 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 the COVID nineteen situation, people attacking them or screaming at them, people shouldn't have to walk around and watch their shoulders, thinking, "Oh, is someone going to attack me just because you know because of my race?" And I I can't you know I can't change that. That's the way I was born. I want to embrace that. And you think you know even i think of my father or myself even going around sometimes you have to think of those kinds of things and those are the little things but hopefully as a society we can uh, we can work on but again as as i said the message getting the message across is huge i think it's good to see a lot of support but again we got to 
a take that support and turn it into to lots of action and then as well b just reach reach as many people as possible and really get people to to, to realize what's going on and you know realize what's going on in, in our own backyard often even you know canada vancouver as you alluded to but again i think it, it's good to to see what's see see people rally together and really push and fight fight racism and you know it's going to be something that's i think it's, it's still going to persist we see you know all the time even you look at what happened in italian soccer over the last year or in montenegro when the english players were you know they're attacked well not attacked by fans but verbally attacked by fans and racist chants and how that's been going on for years i just think hopefully you know we say that a lot hopefully we can turn this movement to something but until it turns into something i just think it's the movements only get stronger because not you know people are starting to realize enough is enough but you know that that's kind of my 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 sentiments on it and you know as tough it is as it is to to move on in this pot from a podcast sense uh we 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 can move on to the to the k-league report i just you know thought that that it should be said and you know hopefully whoever's listening can uh We'll we'll we'll, uh, we'll we'll take something away from from that statement or what what was said. Yeah, and just as a as a final thought on that topic, I'll give a shout out to Theo Bear for putting out a a really I thought thoughtful and powerful message on Instagram, and he's also been featured with a couple other players and uh, and uh, manager terry Henry, um you know kind of featuring their social media posts on the mls website so that's great to see a canadian international and a whitecaps player featured through mls you know in relation to this topic and good to see that he's kind of leading the charge in that sense and yeah and also shout out to Derek cornelius because he did a, a very well a good post as well a fellow canadian international as well yeah, so those guys representing the country and the squad in, in a really positive way. So, yeah, now um, if we're ready to move on to the K-League, I'll, uh, I'll preface, you know, if, if you don't care about the K-League, if, if you know, that now is a good time to click off. But if, but if you want to get into, get into some Korean soccer, you're in the right place. So uh, we'll start off as we kind of normally do with – uh, Daniel Henry watch and his Suwon Blue Wings and how they did the past week. And uh, I will confess it wasn't exactly a barn burner of a match and nil-nil draw with Busan. But I did think that from what I saw, Daniel seems to be gradually setting in and settling in, pardon me. And one thing that I really noticed was we talked in the past about how you know, he kind of dives into challenges and can be a bit reckless or maybe leave his feet a little too soon and how that could present a problem in the K-League, especially with skilled dribblers, you know, intricate passes, guys that are, are gifted and shifty on the ball. But I thought in that nil-nil draw, he was tested a few times and did a really nice job of either staying on his feet, being a little less aggressive, or even when he did go to ground, kind of being conscious of his positioning and where he was and not putting himself in a difficult or perilous situation when he didn't have to. So I think he's starting to understand that system a little more and Suan looks a little more comfortable. They're still an eighth in the league, still on four points for the year. So it's definitely not the start they were looking for, but I think you can see that team growing and you can see Daniil defensively kind of growing and, and understanding the role that he needs to play. 
Yeah, I think it's tough to look at the the form the form list for Suwon and see how much they've struggled and you know, you prefer them to do better, but hey, if Daniel Henry's keeping another clean sheet, I can't fault them for that and you know, after keeping a clean sheet last week, at least defensively they've started to figure something out and hopefully they can we can see more action on the other side of the pitch for for Suwon so they can start you know, rising up the table and give Daniel Henry some, you know, him and his defenders some run support. But it's good to see him and his fellow defenders are adjusting. You can't snuff at clean sheets in the K-League with the quality of attacking options that they do have. And it's good to see from what I, when I do tune in to see Daniel Henry play, how he's starting to settle in and, you know, find that balance in being between being rash and calm in his tackles and, his underrated distribution and whatnot. So I think hopefully Samsung can uh, or Suwon can start uh, pushing up the table now soon. Yeah, and so so moving on from mid-table to the top of the table, uh, Ulsan Hyundai, who are kind of the, the high-scoring juggernauts at the top of the table, have dropped points again for the second week in a row. And that was in a 1-1 draw with bottom of the table, Guangzhou, who up until that point, was did not have a result on the year so that was a really surprising one I think a lot of people caught off guard there and there were definitely some some interesting talking points in that match um Guangzhou got an early goal in the 12th minute and uh you know Ulsan was just very very sketchy at the back not a lot of organization and uh and you know things were looking good for Guangzhou but then they allowed a an own goal in the 22nd minute and it was essentially just this kind of whipped cross into the box that that went unclaimed. And I think it maybe took a deflection off someone, and then right in front of goal, Junior Nagao, who's the still the leading scorer in the K-League with five on the year, it looked like he was offside and may have interfered or even gotten a little touch of the ball. But um, upon review, it was deemed that he either was involved in the play or wasn't offside, and so the own goal stood and that would end up being the final result at one, one, but then also later in the match, Nagao, who we just talked about was subbed off with 15 minutes left in kind of an odd decision. Uh, Ilsan played without a striker in a one, one match against the far inferior team for the final 15 minutes. So um, Kim Doo Hoon, the, the manager, I think a lot of people were calling that decision into the question why they weren't more aggressive in the final 15 minutes. And um, for those that have been watching or maybe haven't been watching the K-League this year, Ilsan Hyundai reminds me a lot of the LA Galaxy with Zlatan on the team because you've got a, you know, a prolific, skilled striker and the team kind of runs through him but then at the back or even in the midfield, it's kind of just a wild west. They play, you know, back and forth, wide open football. And defensively, their organization a lot of times is terrible, but they seem to get away with it and outscore their problems. But we've seen Osan trip up over the last couple of games. But I think if you're tuning into the K-League for the first time and you want to watch an exciting match, I tune into some Osan Hyundai games because – you're always going to see something interesting. Well, it's funny how, well, first of all, we sung the praises of Ulsan last week for their dominance, and then they drew another game. And it's funny how draws, despite the fact that you do get a point, can really 
just throw you down the table and it you know it it showed in the in the results now obviously with the the latest standings I mean Ulsan is still second but all of a sudden with John Buck losing and dropping despite their strong start all of a sudden there's a a gap of only three points between seventh and first with every team now having dropped a game and I think it's wide open so for example if you're Suwon that's huge because you know, if you want to make to the championship round, uh, you just need to be in the top six, and they're only three points off for for now. And you know, it's, it's going to be interesting to see if teams start to rise towards the top uh, as it goes along. I think Jung Buck and Ulsan, from the quality they've shown in their games, Jung Buck, you know, they're they're more of a stingy team, whereas Ulsan, as you said, the LA Galaxy moniker. I think you know they'll they'll, they'll score their way out of trouble, but beyond that, I think. You look at the, the the table; it's wide open. Teams mostly have similar records. They they're all beating each other, tying each other. So it's going to be interesting to see who those third to sixth place teams end up being in time for that final six team championship round. But I, it's definitely wide open. I don't think if you're if you're looking for a game and you see any Kaylee game on at this point, I don't think you can sit there and think, okay, this is going to be a blowout or this is going to be a bad game. And that unpredictability is always so fun to have in a league and the K league in so many ways, as we've kind of learned throughout these past few weeks, just reminds us of MLS in so many ways. It's, it's, it's almost uncanny at times. Yeah. And so, so touching on the match that you just briefly kind of referenced, uh, Gian book, who was top of the table, um, you know, not only dropped their first match, but, but lost by a score of one to nil to Gangwon, who's kind of been my adopted team. They're just this kind of plucky, plucky mid-table group that maybe doesn't have you know the top quality of of some of the best teams but they always play tough and they just you're always in for for a challenging match and uh you know to give some credit to John Buck they did kind of suffer from one very poor moment early on so there was kind of a sloppy back pass and then a sloppy touch off the back pass and uh the uh, Jean Buck defender essentially just dragged down a guy as he was headed in on goal alone. So that was a quick red card inside the opening 20 minutes and Gangwon took advantage um, with a really nice goal off a header inside the opening half and then just kind of held on from there. It wasn't necessarily pretty, but it was, you know, all hands on deck defensively as they just kind of bunkered in and, and avoided conceding. Um, but you know, a really good kind of trap match by Gangwon, who I think are they'll be one of those mid-table teams looking, you know, that all they really need to do is get themselves inside that top six. That's going to be priority number one, and and getting three points where you maybe didn't expect to is a is a great result on the road to doing that. And then, so the last team we're going to talk about a little bit was uh, Seongnam. I don't know if I'm saying that right, but they're quietly undefeated in third position in the K-League. So two draws, two wins. Same record as Ulsan. Yeah, exactly. But I will say a far different feeling for that same record. Like this past weekend, they beat Seoul 1-0. But if I'm being honest, it could have been 6-1 for Seoul. Like it was, there were shots off the post there were you know open opportunities in front of goal and it just didn't work out like at Seoul was absolutely all over 
Siongam and now I'm in the first half and it was only a goal off a rebound opportunity 88th that uh that saw them through and so as much as the record has them high up in the table I really don't think you can treat uh, them in the same category as Ulsan and Gianbuck. Like those two teams are still very much from a quality perspective, the top tier. And, uh, you know, I would classify Siongyam as pretenders rather than contenders at this point. But with the results well, they're getting and the, and the late goals, if you're in the top six, it's all that really matters. But but I, I just their play has not been confidence inspiring, and I don't necessarily like watching them that much. So for whatever reason, I'm kind of, I'm kind of a little bit against. Also, something to keep in mind was so other than that victory against Seoul, their other win came against Guangzhou, who is the bottom team in the table. So it hasn't exactly been a stellar two wins and two draws. But hey, credit where credit is due, they've earned the results to this point. But I would maybe prognosticate that there's someone who might fall down the table as the season goes on. I think you have to watch out for them. Four goals, four in four games, terrible. One goal against in yeah. four games, elite. <laughs> so <laughs> obviously the strength of opposition is a huge question. I would like to see a, a Seongnam Ulsan matchup or a Seongnam Jeonbuk matchup, but until we you know, until we see that, you can't write them out if they've got that sort of defensive record because especially in a format like this, you just need to beat the teams below you. And when you do play a big team, if you can scrape out a draw, you're always going to be in good position. I think they – it's too early to tell. It's four match days in. But so far, Singnam has so far got a better handle of that versus an Ulsan where it feels like a lot of wasted opportunities, whereas Singnam it feels just like efficiency at its finest. Yeah, and so just kind of rounding out the K-League discussion, we've also got Pohang in fourth. They've been playing some pretty decent football, and they're playing Ulsan this upcoming weekend. So that's definitely a you know top-of-the-table matchup to watch. Then you've also got Daniil's uh, Suwon Blue Wings against bottom-of-the-table Guangzhou. But as we saw, they were able to give Ulsan a fight, so definitely not a gimme there. But an opportunity for Daniil and his Blue Wings to – continue to gather some positive momentum. And then you've got Jumba coming off a loss, looking to get back on track against Seoul. And Seoul, you know, has, I think, played well in stretches, but just not been able to, um, you know, put together the kind of results they're looking for. And they're sitting outside the top six right now. So both those teams kind of looking to regain some momentum. Those are the three matches I kind of was looking at for this upcoming week. And, and as always, we'll be, updating you on what's going on in the K-League. It's, it's been fun so far, and it's very tight at the top of the table and, and should only get better. Yeah, and uh, it's going to be interesting to see. I, I'm more, I want to see that top six battle. I want to see how things spread out or if it's going to remain jam-packed because usually early on in the season where you start to notice those trends. But, you know, hopefully I can find a way to, to tune into more games. It's going to be an interesting couple of weeks now with, like, the multitude of leagues, but the Bundesliga is finishing pretty soon. Uh, they do only have five match days to go, so it's gonna it's gonna be interesting time for for the K League as they ramp up here towards the the summer. I think it's gonna be a good substitute for MLS uh, while we until the MLS does return. Yeah, and so I think that's uh, that's pretty much all we've got for this seventeenth exactly. episode of Third Sub. But 
you know, as Alex just said, as more football returns, we're going to have more and more to talk about. And it seems like from now on, we're probably going to have some relatively substantial MLS news to talk about every week as momentum kind of grows here. And so that's very exciting. You know, if you've maybe been been a bit absent from the podcast because not much has been going on with the Whitecaps, now's the opportunity to jump back on the bandwagon. And yeah, we're looking forward to hopefully, you know, kind of ramping up the Whitecaps coverage. If, you know, if you haven't been as hard into the Bundesliga and K-League as we have, you know, now's kind of the opportunity for us to, for us to pick back up on the North American soccer talk. So I'm looking forward to that as well as tracking what's going on in Europe because we don't want to just throw that by the wayside. But yeah, as always, you can find me on 86forever.com if you're looking for a written version and a written account of the CBA negotiations and everything that went on over the past couple days. Both Alex and I wrote something on that topic, so you can check that out. You can always interact with me on Samuel underscore Rowboat on Twitter and, you know, ask any questions or critique my pronunciation of Korean team names. Uh, I, I could use some constructive criticism for sure in that category. Yeah, and as usual, find me uh, at BTS Fan City on Twitter at Alex Ruzik or again criticize my pronunciations of, of stuff or send a positive message or you know whatnot and hopefully everyone's uh, staying safe and you know standing up for what you believe in with everything that's that's going on so if you ever want to talk about that too I'm definitely uh, open to, to talk about the Black Lives Matter movement any anything of that that kind but once again it was a good episode and uh, we do have some good things planned so so stay tuned and we'll we'll catch you uh, on the other side yeah let's uh, continue to stay safe and you know above all else let's take care of each other and uh, we'll be back in a couple days with more here on the third sub and thanks again for watching well or not watching listening we'll talk to you soon <laughs>